a, a part very close in our hearts. I suppose I better turn this on. Very close in our hearts uh, because uh, we identify very much with Oaklawn. I'd like to introduce my wife, Martha. This beautiful lady is my wife. Of now over 40 years. And We also want to thank um, of our two kids, our son, Tim, is 31. He's in South Carolina and is functioning as an EMT, going for his paramedic training. And our daughter, who just graduated from grad school with two masters, not one, but two, and she now has a, uh, a job in Houston, Texas. So I don't know if she's going to get a Texas drawl or what, but um, pray for her as she adjusts to her, her new job. We also want to thank Oakland because you were one of the first churches to participate in meeting a great need that we had of a new car. Our car has been slowly dying. And uh, since October to, uh, to March when we came here, we may have had it in our possession two weeks because it was in the shop in and out. And now the Lord has graciously given us enough funds when we return to go shopping for a new car. So thank you very much for your part in that. Outside is a display, which and, and the presentation in the monitor. We encourage you to see the whole presentation. In a nutshell, our ministry revolves around three things. Mentoring pastors and leaders. Not just telling them what to do, but beside them, walking them through. Being an example and helping to be a resource to them. Number two, discipling believers. I see you have the, the, the verse over here. Go and make disciples, discipling believers. And three, showing how to go to the, uh, to the ends of the earth. Because we've now had three opportunities to go to the island of Cuba, where God is working. Watch the presentation and just um, call that to your attention. It lasts about five minutes, well worth it. And please take a prayer card with you and continue to pray for us. I'd like to turn your attention to Matthew chapter 21. We'll start at verses, take out your notes in the, in the bulletin, you can follow along. Remember report cards? Oh, something way back then, I don't even know if they do them anymore. But it was a day of reckoning. After all you'd done or not done in school, there was that anxiety, uncertainty as to how you'd done until you got the report card. We always had have a day of reckoning. Given its supreme task, how is today's church doing? I'm not talking about the building. I'm not talking about the organization. I'm talking about the believers. How are the believers doing today? Many and many of our congregation, we double down on evangelistic programs, hold special events to attract more people to the church. We even beef up our regular programs for children, teens, adults. We update our praise and worship service. We even subsidize a missions program. And we are very busy in the ministry, content that we're doing really well. But have we really learned? A bothersome question bugs us. And we find that question in the object lesson of the fruitless fig tree that Jesus used to illustrate what was happening in the nation of Israel. Let's look at the object lesson. Let's look at the, read uh, together the, 
the portion at the top of your notes. Early in the morning, as Jesus was on his way back to the city, he was hungry. Seeing a fig tree by the road, he went up to it but found nothing on it except leaves. Then he said to it, may you never bear fruit again. Immediately, the fig tree withered. Lord, guide our thoughts this morning as we look at this passage and how this um, passage beyond it explains what you meant in this, uh, what you meant to say in this example, this object lesson of the fig tree. In Jesus' name, amen. That morning, Jesus was out walking with his disciples on his way to Jerusalem, and this event had happened before he had purified the temple. All of a sudden, Jesus leaves the path, and he goes over to a fig tree. Now, there are lots of fig trees in there, and anything along the side of the road is fair game for you know, a snack on the, on, the, on the long road to Jerusalem. He went, he went toward a little hill where a fig tree was planted, and the promised land had lots of them. But this fig tree, a fig tree bears fruit twice a year. And it's really interesting. Here's an important point. It produces the fruit before it produces the leaves. So if you see the leaves, what's the what's conclusion? There's fruit there. So Jesus went over to that tree. And he starts pawing through all the leaves, but he didn't find anything. What would he expect? Fruit. All he found was leaves, just leaves. But it should have had fruit because it had leaves. Jesus then pronounced a curse on the tree. May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And the disciples heard every word. The next day after he purified the temple, they were returning uh, back to Bethany where he was staying. And they went by the fig tree and it was completely dead. Not dying, it was dead. Why did the fig tree wither? In the midst of teaching and introducing the concept of the church, of the living body of Christ, Jesus introduces this illustration of the fig tree. What was the point Jesus trying to make by this object lesson? To better understand this incident, let's get a little bit of context of what was going on. Matthew 21, Jesus begins the chapter by offering himself as the king of Israel. We know it as a triumphal entry into Jerusalem where everybody was shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Then his first, uh, he would proceed to purify the temple as king. He would purify the temple in Jerusalem. Everything so far is about Israel. And so it's logical that teaching the fig tree would pertain to Israel as well. In this passage, this whole, the rest of the chapter, of the chapter, we see that Jesus is laying out a case in God's courtroom against Israel. Event number one. Jesus identifies the accused. This is in verses 23 through 27. The place, where was Jesus? He was teaching in the temple. Now the rabbis will go to the temple and in the great courtyard, they sit down in a corner and the disciples will come around and listen to the teacher teach or to the rabbi teach. This was days after he had purified that same temple. It was a place where the Jews met with their God. It was symbolic of the whole religion of the Jews. And Jesus was teaching. And the chief priests and the elders came around. 
Now, when I read that, first read that, I thought chief priests and elders, two or three, you know, came around and see what was going on. But actually, these were the political and religious representatives of Israel. It was a massive group. Included all who administered in the temple. Some 250 strong. They declared themselves to be the authority. Look at what it says in, in verse, the last part of verse 23. Their question. By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? Show us your ordination certificate. Were you ordained by this temple? Do you have the right credentials? Where's your approval from the Sanhedrin? You have to report to us. In verse 24, Jesus responds with a question. He explains his accusation against the nation of Israel. Jesus wasn't trying to dodge the question of the Jews with his answer. His questions were designed to amplify the significance of the lesson of the fig tree. The accused was the nation of Israel, if you want to put that down in your notes. Jesus' question, John's baptism, where did it come from? Was it from heaven or from men? If they answered that question, they'd answer their own question. By whose authority? It would prove from whom he, Jesus, had received the words he preached. They already had the answer. If they said John had received his baptism from heaven, they would have to affirm that John was a prophet of God, and that his teachings were from God, and that they should obey him, something they weren't doing. On the other hand, they couldn't say it was for men because everybody considered John a prophet. Either way, it was lose-lose. So they chose a political answer. We don't know. They purposely ignored all the evidence because they didn't want to admit that Jesus was the Messiah. That would, if they admitted that, they would, they would have to obey him. But he, they weren't obeying him. They were trying to, to undercut him. They were trying to dismiss him. They tried to avoid proving that they were actually rejecting disobeying the word of God. So what did Jesus say to them? Then he said, verse 27, Neither will I tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. They already knew that John's baptism was from heaven. They already knew that Jesus had said multiple times that he did what his father showed him. They knew that God himself had testified at Jesus' baptism when God the Father said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And the Holy Spirit came down upon him as if in the form of a, uh, or like a, a dove. And the Son of God coming up out of those waters. The Trinity declared who Jesus was. There was no doubt about this. And this event proved that by means of its representatives, Israel stands accused of rejecting the revelation and the authority of God. It's established who the judge is and by whose authority he judges. Let's go on to the evidence. Event number two. Jesus states the evidence against the nation of Israel in a story about two sons. Christ now illustrates the nature of the evidence that condemns Israel is that they did not do the will of God. That's the evidence. Let's look at that. Verses 28 through 32. What do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, Son, go and work today in the vineyard. 
I will not, said the first son. I don't want to obey you. He was rebellious. Been there, done that. He told his father to his face he didn't want to obey him. But later he changed his mind and carried out his father's orders. Because it said, here, I will not. But later he changed his mind and went. Later, son number two. Son, go and work today in the vineyard. Yes, sir. I will, sir. Right away, sir. I'll do everything you told me to do. He says what the father wants, wants him to hear. But then he doesn't go. So he ends up disobeying the will of his father. So Jesus says, he asked the chief priest, which of the two did what his father wanted? The one who said, I will not, but later he went. Or the one that said, I will, but he didn't go. Which one actually did the will of his father? No brainer. The first. But they condemned themselves with their own answer. Jesus explained, verse 31. He says, Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. The tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. Here are these religious leaders who are disobeying Jesus, rejecting Jesus as as the Son of God. And the tax collectors and prostitutes at the word of John are repenting and turning their lives over to God. And these guys are steadfastly objecting. This was an allusion to the scourge of the earth for the Jews. The outcasts, the nonconformists, they began by rebelling, but later realized their sin and repented. The chief priests and elders were like the second son, the elite of the Jewish religion. They thought they were so holy they were almost like God themselves. They figured God was pleased with them for their exemplary morality. It's not what we do nor what we show, it's what's in here. Jesus basically said, you're like the second son that said he would go and didn't go. You pretend to obey God But you never go to his vineyard and obey his commands. What Jesus was really saying, not that the prostitutes go in first and the the tax collectors go in first and then the other ones. He's saying, you guys don't even go in. Because you've rejected the word of God. You've rejected what God said. You rejected the very message of God and his prophets. You saw the tax collectors and prostitutes repenting saw God doing a work in their lives, and you won't even accept that it's from God. You rejected the power of God you saw in his messenger. Israel stands accused of knowing the will of God, saying they would do the will of God, and not doing it. That was as old as Mount Sinai. Remember what they said when Moses gave them the law? Everything that God has said, what? We will do. And all through the history of Israel, when he sent his messengers to them, they persecuted the prophets, killed some, and and, uh, mistreated the others, and refused to listen to them. We heard this morning in the book of Judges that they did their own thing, and God brought 
brought punishment upon them. Then they repented and asked God for a deliverer. God sent a deliverer, and then they started the whole cycle all over again. All through the history of Israel, Israel, the evidence is they did not do the will of God. Number three, verses 33 through 39. The landowner's vineyard, the crime committed, they did not give the fruit that God asked them to give. What happens here in this this, uh, landowner's vineyard? First, this landowner prepared. If you look down through the passage, he planted a vineyard, put a wall around it, dug a wine press in it, built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers. He planted the vineyard, very common in those times. He fenced in the property, protecting its animals and thieves, prepared a wine press where the grapes could be turned into juice. He built a tower that provided security, storage, and shelter. And then he rented it to some farmers. The resources are the Lord's. Israel had, had them in trust. This was a common practice. Came to an agreement, drew up a contract for a portion of the harvest as rent. Everything else was profit for, the, for these farmers. They could have prospered in that place. The landowner had given them everything they needed and more. They just had to use correctly the resources that God had given them And they would have a profit. So the time the rent comes due. Verse 34. When the harvest time approached, he, the landowner, sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. Now that was common too. When the harvest time approached, all right, you start calculating how many how many tons of fruit and how much, how much juice or how much wine and then how much was the value and according to the contract, this was due. So the landlord sent his servants to collect the fruit. Time to pay the rent. His servants came to collect what rightly belonged to the owners. To the owner. The reaction of the tenants, what did they do? They refused to pay the rent and tried to take over the vineyard. He sent his servants, verse 35, the tenants seized his servants. They beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. Consider the malice of those tenants. These were bad guys. After all the landowner had done for them, all the privilege and opportunity, they turned independent, resentful, and hateful toward the landowner. They even wanted to take over his land. Now, in Honduras, if you occupy unattended land for 10 years, it's yours. They're, you know, calculating, how can we take over this land? They did not want to give what was due. But look at the incredible mercy on the part of the landowner. Then he sent other servants to them, more than the first time. What owner of somebody that had a tenant's react like that wouldn't call the authorities and evict those, those, uh, those malcreants? I don't know what other po- uh, word in, in English, my Spanish word comes to mind, but, but he'd get them out of there. But he sent more. 
Jesus is emphasizing God's mercy in the midst of Israel's unbelief. Last of all, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said, my only son. Certainly they won't harm my son. They will show respect for him. Verse 38, but when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and take his inheritance and it will all fall to us. They killed the son. This was a preview of, of Jesus' own death. The son of God come to the nation of Israel. With their mouths they proclaimed him king, but with their actions they denied him. They would eventually put him to death. They premeditated his death so they could control everything. They knew who he was. No mystery here. It's incredible. Again, the tenants, like the tenants, Israel would kill Jesus to continue on with the way things were. What's the verdict? Clearly stated and declared guilty. Verses 40 and 42. Therefore... Jesus, in a rabbinic teaching method, Jesus has the chief priests and elders finish the story themselves, declaring their own verdict. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? Hmm. He'll bring those, they said, he will bring those wretches to a miserable end. And he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crop at harvest time. There's an old adage. He who points the finger has three pointing back at himself. They arrive at two conclusions. The tenants are worthy of severe judgment. Anybody that would treat anybody that way is worthy of severe punishment. They should be replaced at once. He'll rent his vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the the crop at harvest time. Israel is guilty. They didn't render the fruit that they owed. The nation of Israel had been chosen by God with a specific purpose in mind. To make God known to the ends of the earth. We all think that that, uh, Israel existed so everybody could come through Israel and all depended on... No, Israel's mission from the very beginning, if you read in the Old Testament, is to make his glory known among all the nations to show who God is. What did they do? Circled the wagons, developed their own system their own religion, and everything depended on them. If you wanted to to know God, you had to be like them. Made a whole bunch of extra rules so that, uh, like, you could only walk so far on the Sabbath and, and, you know, you couldn't take any grain and and husk it because that's work on the Sabbath and made all sorts of prerequisites and they had their system down pat. They had everything all set. God said in 1 Kings 8.60 so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God and there is no other. Even back in Genesis when he talked to Abraham all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. That was God's purpose for Israel. Let's go back to the fig tree. The Lord is in front of the fig tree And he's put his hand into the fig tree. And he hasn't found any fruit. He was looking for people from all the nations willing to submit to his authority and recognize his beloved son. 
nothing. He just found leaves, no fruit. Just leaves. They had not shown God's glory to the nation. Israel had all the religious structure, the temple, the rules and commandments, the rituals, the religious activities, the festivals, the songs, the liturgy, but it was all leaves. So Jesus pronounces the sentence. Number four, verse 43. Therefore, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you. This commission to show God to the nations, no longer yours. I'm taking it away. And given to a people who will produce its fruit. The commission to establish the kingdom of God will be taken away from the nation of Israel. He never found that fruit in Israel. That's why he took the commission away. The commission will be given to a people who will produce its fruit. A new people. The church. Jesus is introducing the concept of a church in this portion of Matthew. They receive this commission. An enormous privilege, but with the same responsibilities. What's the fruit that Jesus expects from his church? You have it right there. Go, therefore, and what? Make disciples. The only commandment in that verse is make disciples. What's the fruit that Jesus is looking for? Disciples. The commission is re-expressed. The last word spoken by Jesus before he ascended into heaven. Unconditional disciples. The only fruit that God is pleased to receive from his church is unconditional disciples. Obedient to his word without reference to their place of origin. Make disciples of, of what? Of all nations. You can't do that here. You got to go. The gospel is not come. It's not just Oklahoma is here. You all come. Here we preach the gospel. No, if you're going to do all nations, you've got to go. Going, not bringing them to a building, but going to where they are. The church should reflect its community. Go out into its community. And as people accept the Lord in their community, the church takes on, I'm talking about the believers, takes on the characteristic and the feel of the community around it. Because this building is not the church. You are the church. Baptizing Baptizing them. Not just making them members of a church organization, but helping them to be wholly identified with Christ as his unconditional follower. That's what baptism is about. Hey, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. No conditions. That's who I am. That's what you're saying in believer's baptism. And then the important part, teaching them to observe all things are all my commandments. It's not just doing church activities, but developing their life into unconditional following. That's what we're about as missionaries, is to develop disciples of Jesus Christ who will follow Jesus Christ without conditions. We could work and work and work and work, and, and, and a number of people may come to know the Lord, but unless we've established believers who will, 
who will produce other believers, who will produce other believers, we've only put in our time. And that's what Christ expects of Oakland. The nagging question. Go back. If we were to stand in God's courtroom today, would he accuse us of not doing what he said? Would he accuse us of knowing the will of God but not doing it? Would he accuse us of not rendering unto him the fruit that's due? Lord's marking his report card of the church. He edifies his church. I will build my church, Jesus said. He purifies it. He strengthens it. He's given his church everything it needs to accomplish its primary purpose. When he comes to the church's fig tree, what will he find? We're quick to call Israel guilty, but what about us? Lord, we've faithfully been here in this spot for 30-some years. He says, leaves. Where are the disciples? But Lord, we pray every week. That's great. But where are the disciples? Lord, we have a wide variety of ministries. We're a full-service church. Wonderful. But it's leaves. Where are the disciples? If it doesn't produce disciples, you know, what's that about? Lord, we faithfully give our tithes and offerings. Admirable. But I want fruit. And it's just leaves if it doesn't produce disciples. Where are the disciples? Lord, we work hard in the ministry of church, of the church. Great. But where are the disciples? Where's the fruit? Those of us that are older remember the commercial, where's the beef? The chuckles of those that are in the senior citizen you young people don't, they don't realize what that is. Where's the fruit? You got all the bun. There's just this little thing you circle and, no, where's the fruit? His question will be, where are those whom you have helped to be unconditional disciples, Christians? Disciples who want what I want, who do what I want, and go where I want them to go. Where are they? Are you like the son who says what God wants to hear, but you don't do it? Yes, Lord, I'll make disciples. But do we? Are you like the tenants who refuse to give God what is rightfully his, who want to go on doing your own thing, taking over his own field, his field, and trying to make it your own instead of doing what God's commanded us to do? Yes, Lord. The church is yours. We should render what you ask of us, but then we run the church the way that we want to run the church. Whose is it? Ours or his? What will you say? What will he find? All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. All the rest of the stuff falls into place around that make disciples. What will you say? What will he find? Will he find fruit? Or just leaves. Let's pray. Father, you had strong words for Israel. They stood accused 
in your courtroom. The evidence was against them. They had committed the crime of saying that they would follow what you said, and they didn't do it. And therefore, you took away that commission to them. If we are not faithful to the commission you have given us, will you continue to work with us? Or will you take that commission away from us and allow us to follow our own devices? Lord, we are yours. We want what you want. We want to do what you want us to do. We want to go where you send us to go. Whether that's here in Oakland, whether that's in another state, another, another country, or the, even the ends of the earth. Develop us here first, Lord, in our Jerusalem. Send us out to our Judea. And as our vision raises, we go out to Samaria and even unto the ends of the earth. But Lord, the task is the same. Disciples who will make disciples. Renew our vision, Lord, we ask in Christ's name. Amen.